Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry Podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal, which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today we are interviewing Pastor Gerard Bowling about conversations with young people around race, our life in the church, and our society. Our country has been thrust into a conversation about race and racism in the last few weeks. And while addressing issues of systemic injustice and inequality are complex, as Christians, we can be clear that racism is evil and the result of our fall into sin. Scripture rejects racism time and time again, reminding us that all humans are made lovingly by God and have equal worth and dignity. Uh, Jesus died to save all and desires all, regardless of nationality or race, to come to a saving faith in him. One of the end goals of youth ministry that we list is that young people and the church embrace and value the diversity of ethnicity, language, and culture God has created in his community. Now is a critical moment for us to work towards that end goal by being prepared to have important conversations with youth about race and racism. This is also an important time to discuss the body of Christ and how we listen well and serve the members of the body. In order to help us do that today, we've invited Reverend Gerard Bowling to join us in the conversation. Reverend Bowling was born and raised in New York City and currently serves as pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri. He teaches at Concordia, Texas, Concordia, St. Paul, and Concordia, Wisconsin in leadership and theology. He is passionate about urban and death ministry and treasures the dynamic programming Bethlehem does to reach people in urban areas, including Ferguson, Missouri, through the More Greater Things program and the Hope Center. Gerard has a beautiful wife of five years, Lorenda, and two super cute kids, Lincoln and Monroe. <laughs> Pastor Bowling, welcome to the End Goals podcast. Uh, we got to hear a little bit about your biography, but tell us a little more about your vocation, including your teaching and some other things that bring you joy, or even what you're spending your time uh, doing sheltering in place. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me today, guys. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, for me, um, being a pastor is kind of the all-encompassing title, right? Um, and it means a lot of different things. Um, I've been blessed um, to be able to go on this incredible journey um, that started really uh, when I was in Lutheran Youth Fellowship. Um, I was in LYF um, as a youth, and I always knew that there was a call on my life um, to do something more um, than I, what I desired for myself. Uh, so the journey to becoming a pastor sort of started there. Um, lots of hands that pushed me along the way uh, to go to Concordia, Chicago, and then eventually the seminary in St. Louis. Um, and then uh, to be blessed to be called to a congregation that does a lot of missional work um, and is invested in the community. What I love about Bethlehem and its community is that the community sees us as a beacon of hope. Um, and they see us as a place uh, where they can go and be safe um, and as a church as well. Um, so it's more like a community center and a community engagement center and a church mixed together in one, which is a beautiful view of living life together, right? Um, and there's sort of this lack of separation between I'm at church, I'm at home, <laughs> you know, these are separate things. Um, I shop at these grocery stores and everybody else is here. Um, we kind of live with who we shop with, who we, you know, uh, chat with during the week. Um, our Bible studies become real life for us. Um, and, and that's really cool. So 
Um, as far as teaching goes, I feel like that completes another piece of me as a pastor. Um, I have always believed that life is three-pronged, you know, um, you're to educate people and then also mentor and walk with people. And then at the same time, uh, be able to sympathize or empathize with, with other people. So education is an extremely important factor uh, for me, um, not only getting my education as I'm getting my doctoral degree and I should be done soon, everybody cross their fingers, um, <laughs> but uh, being able to educate other people, young minds. Um, I can think back to uh, last week's uh, week in one of my uh, leadership courses that I teach at Concordia in Texas, and we talked about diversity. We just It just so happened to be the week we talked about diversity um, and just the connections we were able to make with current events and then diversity and inclusion in general. Uh, we're awesome. We're great. So, yeah. Fantastic. You shared uh, some of the joys about your ministry. Um, Maybe tell us a little bit more about the work that you're talking about with education, um, those specific connections that you have with Bethlehem Lutheran, um, some of the stories maybe that you get to see um, in your uh, everyday ministry and the impact that, again, the community of believers are having in their neighborhoods and community around you. Sure. Yeah. Um, so as far as my, my teaching goes, um, I started out teaching at Concordia in Texas in the theology department only. Um, I I, and the, the interview process for that was so funny because I remember having an interview um, really soon after a, a, a young man in our congregation passed away. Mm. Um, and it just so happened that this interview was scheduled for that day and I had to make it. Um, and so I think we had his funeral that day before. And then the following day I spoke with um, the interviewer and she was asking me different questions and I was basically just not in the mood <laughs> to be able to answer anything. And I pretty honestly just, I just said, Hey, I'm a parish pastor and a young boy in our congregation was killed while walking across the street. Um, he was 11 years old and he meant a lot to me. Um, and I'm just like, I'm sorry if I'm not giving you the answers you want, right? We always want to give people the answers they want, but I'm just not in a space um, right now to be able to, um, to be able to do anything, you know? Um, and then she emailed me and hired me the following day um, and said that kind of ministry, that kind of real life application is what we want at Concordia for our profs, you know? Um, it's what we want them to bring to our students. Um, and I really appreciated um, just the desire to be able to connect real life with education, right, um, at our Concordia schools. And um, and I eventually then uh, got in touch with uh, the leadership director, uh, Prairie Burgess, and uh, she asked me to teach some leadership courses there because that's what my doctorate is in, um, in leadership. Uh, and so uh, I began doing that, loved it, loved being able to form students uh, who are right about to go out into the field to work, um, you know, and they had to take this class, but this is preparing you for the real world by getting a resume together and making sure that you understand uh, the proclivities within leadership theory um, as you go out. So that's been really cool to be able to be a part of that. Um, I taught actually at Concordia Portland um, last year before they closed, uh, and I taught specifically um, the Faith for Life courses there. Um, so those courses were courses that kind of collided leadership uh, with theology together, um, more vocational leadership, I guess you could call it. 
Um, and when Concordia Portland closed, um, some folks at uh, CSP, Concordia St. Paul, uh, asked if I would teach a similar class that they have at their campus. And so that's the course I teach there. It's called Callings, Christianity and Vocation. And it has been amazing to teach there, especially in a time uh, where that city is going through so much uproar, um, where literally some of my law enforcement students in the class um, are struggling to complete work because they're they're awake 24 hours a day, you know, trying to make sure um, that things are okay with folks in their municipalities. Um, and so it has been an interesting thing um, to speak life into um, their situations uh, as we read Luther together and Platcher and all these other great authors um, who have written um, about vocation and how they fully understand uh, vocation, not just of being, you know, a, a police officer or a teacher or, or a pastor, if they would like to be that, but um, being a mom and a dad um, and then also uh, a student, you know, those different vocations that we have. Um, and then at Concordia, Wisconsin, most recently, um, I am going to be teaching uh, nonprofit leadership courses, um, more specifically geared to MBA students uh, who are studying innovation, um, and then also pre-seminary students um, who are studying nonprofit management and leadership. Okay, that's great. So to kind of start to dig into what we've, we've seen in the last few weeks, how did the events of, of George Floyd's murder and the events in the St. Louis region really in the last five years, have, how have they impacted you and your family? Yeah, so my wife and I have been married for six years, June 7th. Um, that's how long we've been married. Uh, so our timeline kind of tracks with the events um, that have happened in St. Louis. Um, and my wife and I knew this being together I'm African-American and she's white. Um, and so we knew uh, that being a couple would be more difficult, uh, especially in a city um, that is not quite Northern and not quite Southern, somewhere in between. Um, I'm from the true North. I'm from New York City. Um, and my wife is from a small town in Illinois. Um, so again, we knew all these different tensions would make our relationship a little atypical. Um, I think when everything happened, what we realized is how polarized uh, this argument was and how polarized um, all the incidents would be um, to a point where sometimes people would equivocate it with white against black. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you are a white and black couple, um, it, it kind of makes people turn their heads a little bit. Um, and so we've dealt with a lot of, um, I would say, extensions of systemic racism on both sides between the white and the black community um, of us being together and having to explain ourselves and this and that. Um, what comes to mind for me most recently that my wife and I, we read this together and we were both in tears when we read it, um, J.J. Nunez and Sarah Nunez, Dr. Uh, John and Monique Nunez's kids, who we've never met. I mean, I wish I want to meet them, John and uh, Sarah in person. Um, they posted something on Facebook and all of us are quarantined. We're all looking at Facebook all day. Um, so they posted something about being an interracial couple as well. And just the the fight Um to have people be together because love is love and love should be blind. Um, and I remember my wife and I read that together and we had tears rolling down our eyes um, just because, yeah, love should have no color. I want to see the other person's color who I'm with and I want to validate them um, as who they are and especially who they are in Christ. But love has no color. I mean, you should be able to love someone of, of any race um, and, and from any nation. Um, that's just the truth. Um, and that's what Jesus would say too. Um, and so uh, we have dealt with a lot of explaining ourselves um, and we have dealt with a lot of um, 
you know, unexpected hurt that other people dealt with from past relationships that maybe they were in um, or past incidents that maybe they were a part of. So, yeah. In the same kind of way, what kind of responses and reflections are you seeing maybe in your church or in that community that you're a part of at at Bethlehem uh, over the last few weeks about what's been going on? Yeah, so I always say this, um, it's a spectrum. Um, There's always going to be a spectrum of where uh, Black people are, African Americans are. Um, For me personally, I'm in the spectrum somewhere, right? Um, And I know where I fit, but I also know the extreme and I also know the low end. Um, I have heard people say that they're really just not going to get involved with anything um, and they just really kind of want to live their regular lives. Um, And I've heard people, uh, and I know people in my congregation, um, who are not only out protesting peacefully, but they are out and they're most likely part of the looting. Um, and so it is It is a spectrum, truly. Um, I think that one thing that remains true, no matter where you are on the spectrum, uh, is a quote that my uh, grandmother used to say. It recently started floating around on social media. Um, a child that does not feel the embrace of its village will burn it down to feel its warmth. Um, I think that is a really, really, really good perspective on what's happening or what we're seeing happening in our community. Um, If you're supposed to be loved by somebody, you're supposed to be validated by somebody or a group of people, and they don't provide that for you, everyone's going to react in a different way. Um, Some people are going to react in a matured way, and they're going to protest like I've been protesting. I was talking to my sister yesterday. My sister said, I've been protesting for years. Every single time I walk across the stage and I get a degree, I protest. That's what she said. Um, and I, I said, amen. You know, that's that's one way you do it. Um, and, and there are other ways of doing it too, uh, to be heard, depending on who you are. Um, when people are really tired, sometimes they just burn things down, you know, um, in order to be heard and seen. And I don't condone violence. I'm not condoning violence. Um, but that's where some of our people are um, as well. Um, and it's understandable. So you've, you've talked about the spectrum that you've seen in your community, and obviously there's a spectrum that we've seen, like you said, whether it's been on social media and in conversations we have about maybe just across the Christian church. Um, you can think about the LCMS, people who might be listening to this. I think of that spectrum there. What would you maybe say to a lay leader who has never discussed race issues with their youth, but they want to start? Yes. So I always say that uh, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Um, What I love about um, the movement that's happening in our country uh, is that we saw this all the way back to when I was very little and Amadou Diallo was shot in the streets of New York City. Um, That was one of the the first really big riots. And then it, it came up again um, with Michael Brown and, and it came up again with Ahmad and, and now it's coming up again and every time it's getting bigger and bigger. So I would encourage our lay leaders to understand that this is not something that's going to just go away or fade into you know vapor nothingness. This is something that they have to address um, in their congregations. Um, and I would say that no matter what congregation you're in, you should seek to view this as a marathon and not a sprint. Um, to constantly have these conversations around diversity and inclusion, um, and then also the deeper issues that are inside of this, um, which are redlining, um, a huge issue that adds to this. Systemic racism, a buzz term we've been saying a lot here, what is that? Um, And white privilege and all these different things that are thrown out on social media that at face value seem very intimidating. 
there are really smart people who have written books about this, um, way smarter than we are, right? Um, who have written books about it, people who can connect it to history, people can tell who can tell you how it's connected to FDR um, and his presidency um, and, and projects and things like that. And, and they'll be able to explain that to you in an educated manner, but it won't happen overnight. You know, it takes four years to get a bachelor's, right? Um, what that means is it takes time to learn anything. So go ahead, lay people, and order Keith Haney's Bible study on racial injustice. Go through it together. You know, it's that eats the elephant one bite at a time. You know, um, go ahead and look into some of the things that John Nunes has written on racial inequality. Um, go ahead and look into some of the podcasts that are out there, um, you know, and some of the courses that are available. Here in St. Louis, we have a course that's called Witnessing Whiteness, um, which is just a course anybody can take. Um, and it goes through these issues step by step, week by week. See if your, your congregation can host one of those courses. They'll find you a teacher even um, if your congregation wants to host one of those courses there's a myriad of things that you can do but the worst thing to do is nothing yeah. what are some of the hopeful outcomes for conversations in youth ministry about these about race and race issues what, what, what are we hoping to accomplish in having some of those conversations yeah i think that um when it comes to youth ministry, uh, one of the exciting opportunities is that the younger that you can reach someone, um, the more you can pour into them um, and it becomes a part of the fiber of their being. Um, so if you're going through these things um, with your junior high youth group, um, it's a great idea because those kids have open minds to be able to receive the information that you give to them and to be able to really critically think through that information as well. Um, it does mean that you have to change uh, the level of the content, right? So um, you're not going to be reading a book that has 400 references uh, for a junior high youth group. But um, what you do is week to week, you talk about different concepts and you do what youth ministers have done since the beginning of time. You get creative, right? Um, and you change the way that you're serving the content. Um, when I bring my daughter dinner, she's one years old, one year old. When I bring my daughter dinner, um, she's having the same dinner I'm having, but she's having it cut up into really, really <laughs> small pieces, right? And then she's able to complete her dinner, you know, which is the same thing that I just ate. Um, how can you cut that up for your youth group um, so that they're able to receive it? And you might find that sometimes our kids can do better than we do. Um, with the information given. Um, I think the pressure is on for inclusion as well, because we talk about those things, diversity, inclusion as being married, um, but sometimes uh, people don't always see inclusion as an inclusive piece, which is funny. Um, for inclusion, it means allowing African-American people or people that look different from me into my spaces as well. Um, so maybe instead of just saying, hey, you know, when we go to this or that place, we're going to talk only to our friends. Maybe you on purpose make friends with people that don't look like you so that your kids can make friends with those people that don't look like you. Um, and it's important to have different perspectives and to have background information um, on different people um, because it changes us internally when that happens too. Awesome. Well, we are uh, blessed that scripture speaks a lot to this too, and to us as uh, God's people and situations in our world. And what are maybe some of those key scriptures that you would point to in these conversations? Mm. 
there's a lot of them for me. Um, one of them uh, that I've been saying to a lot of different people is from Psalm 131, verse 2. Um, and it is an obscure scripture. Um, it is a scripture that describes the relationship between a weaned child and its mother. Um, and a child that is not weaned um, will tear its mother apart, it said, in order to receive her milk. Now, I know that sounds crazy and it sounds really obscure, um, but it's a scripture about um, the love in its purest form. A child feels loved, a child feels loved by its mother um, when he or she is able to be drawn close to her and receive her milk um, in that intimate moment when they're together. Um, that closeness uh, is so desired by a child because it's the only thing they know about love at that point, uh, that it becomes addictive, right? Um, this is a moment about love and just being close to one another. Um, and just the fact that we're together um, and the fact that we're loving on each other uh, when it comes to our conversations and being open-minded toward one another, um, that moment is a moment that we should celebrate um, because it's exactly the type of love Jesus had in mind um, when it came to his people. Um, another scripture uh, that comes to mind is when Jesus is uh, looking down at the people and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you together um, like a mama hen, right, would gather together the baby chicks. Um, the only person that can gather everybody together and truly organize everybody is Jesus. Um, so keep your conversation centered around the word um, and keep yourself under his wing, <laughs> you know? Um, it didn't say some baby chicks can sit on the outside and talk at me. It said everyone gathers together. Um, and Jesus is quoting the Old Testament when he says that. Um, and then the final one that I've been telling to a lot of people when I was a child, I walked like a child, I talked like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put my childish ways behind me. Um, the issue of maturity um, and how you mature, you know, and remembering when you were immature, um, but then also remembering the journey you took to get to a place um, that God brought you um, in love, uh, to be able to see things differently. Um, it's okay if up until this point when everything happened, some people did not see this as a big deal, right? Um, I've, I opened myself up on social media to be able to talk to anybody who wanted to talk about this. That's what I said. And I'm glad I did it, but I have also had a ton of conversations over the past few days, but I've been blessed by each and every one. Um, and one of the things I realized is that, you know, a lot of people, especially white people, my white brothers and sisters, not all, but some, have felt as if their older generations of parents and grandparents have had this mindset. And they've always kind of given it a pass of, well, you know, this is just the way they are. And I'm not this way, but this is the way they are. Um, I think that a lot of them have felt a, a, a huge sense of guilt and shame um, when, it, when it comes to that. Um, realizing that um, you can help bring your, those other generations into a place of maturity um, by speaking to them the words of Christ and uh, speaking to them the scriptures um, and realizing that you might be more mature than they are, right, when it comes to some th certain things. Even our youth, you might be more mature in this issue than they are, um, because when we learn that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, if we could write every little sin on him, one of those sins would be racism. Um, and it's not something that we're going to let our aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa just get away with. We're going to call it out and say, hey, this is not okay, you know? Um, and so I would just, um, I would say, get courage to be able to do that um, and have those conversations at home as well. 
Yeah, I appreciate that because this process can be really humbling, especially for those who haven't done the work to learn all of those pieces. And it feels like a lot to be taking in all at once. Um, and, and as you take it in, it uncovers some sin and that's always super humbling. So <laughs> to be able to kind of go, Hey, we have a God who loves and forgives us. And, uh, we got to live in that because we're going to uncover some uncomfortable, um, hurt that we caused, yeah. um, <laughs> we've got to deal with, yeah. um, and, and kind of embrace that as well. So to that end, sort of like, what are some actions that your youth ministry can take to kind of continue the dialogue and action beyond just kind of this moment? And we're, we're going to have a conversation where you make, and you talked a little bit about these, but maybe what would the plan be looking forward? Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of resources that I would love to name for people to be able to read um, and then go through with their youth group. Um, from a Christian perspective, there is a book called Wide Awake. The author's name is escaping me at this moment. Um, but it basically talks about our identity in Christ um, and how we need to wake up to all of the different colors um, that Christ has created. And the way that he painted creation is the language the author speaks about. I love that language. Um, there's also a uh, YouTuber and an avid um, uh, podcaster. Her name is Layla. Um, and I think it's simply just Layla. And every day she puts out a little five to 10 minute video um, on different things that you can think about and chew on that um, are belonging to systemic racism. That would be a great thing for a youth group to watch. It's just like five minutes maximum. And it's just thoughts to chew on. Um, I would say actionably, um, junior high youth, senior high, whatever you're dealing with, go ahead and make service a part of this moment. Um, we have always been really great at that as Lutherans, servant events and going out to our community. Sometimes we put more pressure on the international piece than we do on the community piece. If you serve your community truly in its entirety, um, then you're able to see some people uh, that you've never seen before and serve some people that you've never been able to um, serve or connect to before. Um, you know, if you, when you do that, um, you demonstrate to people of color um, and people around you that they are seen by God. Um, and I know that this sounds funny, but it's biblical. In that moment, you become the hands and feet of Jesus for them, you know, and you make the word of God real for them when you do those service events. So connect to the urban church around you. Um, everybody's got one. I don't, you know, whatever area you live in, you've got an urban church around you um, that needs some help and say, how can I help you with your youth group? How can I help clean up your property? What can I do, you know, to help your, your soup kitchen ministry? Um, there will be those opportunities and there's nothing like walking closely uh, with another person. Um, in, a, in order to understand them. Um, and so there's no substitute for that. I want to come back to maybe an issue I think you've touched on a little bit, and, and you've seen it in your community. You can imagine it, it's in other communities too. Uh, but what do you do if you have maybe a youth uh, that are indifferent in dealing with these issues or maybe even confused um, to maybe engage that gap and have that conversation and, again, create a place of warmth for that conversation to happen as well? Yeah. 
So this is, again, where I would challenge our youth leaders to get creative. Um, I compare it to that game that everybody's played in youth group where there's like a big pile of clothes that are really big and you run to that pile of clothes and you put some on and then you have to run back and then you have to run again to that pile of clothes and then you put more on. You know that game. Everybody knows that game. Um, that, that game um, is usually an opening icebreaker game for like a youth event or a youth weekend uh, or a lock-in. And why do we play that game? We play that game to be able to get everybody uncomfortable at the same time, right? If everyone's uncomfortable, then you've got a platform to be able to speak as a youth leader. That's been happening since the beginning of time. Um, this is a moment where we have to do the same thing. We have to have these icebreakers to make everyone um, uncomfortable to make everybody be in the same space and focus at the same time. Um, it becomes easy to say, this is not a part of my life right now as a youth, um, because you're only dealing with a certain section of who you are. You're only dealing with, I go to high school or I go to junior high, I go to soccer practice, wherever else. Um, but as those youth grow um, and as they grow in Christ, these issues are going to come up and they're going to look for, where did I learn this at? Just like they looked for that when they had a moment of a, a friend that committed suicide, you know, something they never expected to deal with. They looked for, my youth leader taught me about that back here, and it didn't apply at that time, but now it applies today, right? Um, or a friend that's going through a hard time. They look for those verses that the youth leader brought forward. Um, so your work in the congregations, leaders, um, is foundational in the way that these youth interact with the world. Um, so prepare them for the moment they're going to have when they run into uh, this sort of issue with social injustice um, by standing on God's word, right? That centers the conversation and make, make everyone uncomfortable. You know, do an activity um, that shows us what injustice is. Um, do an activity that shows us um, how we can't always move forward together because of factors in our lives. Um, get creative. You can do it. Yeah, I think in the in the same sort of way, and you referenced this a little bit earlier, uh, this can be a really uh, divisive piece uh, between generations. You know, we you know Gen Z is the most diverse generation we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and uh, in social media, listening to the response from young people versus maybe older generations, they're coming at it from very different perspectives. So um, as a youth leader, how do you help a young person when those issues are divisive, either maybe in their household or their extended family or between generations in your church? Yeah, these are really divisive issues. You're right. Um, and Gen Z is a generation that is super open uh, to discussing these issues. Um, and they are, they are about the inclusivity piece, um, which is great. Uh, but what do you do when you're Gen X or when you're you know a millennial even and you're not the same as them and you're, you're their youth leader? Um, what you do is you do your homework. <laughs> um, you should be feverishly reading these books and um, you should be feverishly. I'm a big believer in journaling um, where you're at today and then seeing where you're at, you know, in the next year um, to provide some change as far as like what happened to me personally, how did I transform? You should be doing that. Um, and I keep coming back to the piece of what's transactional and what's transformational, right? Um, so when it comes to my generation, the millennials, I'll just pick on us because I am one. Sometimes we seek a lot of transactional relationships 
um, where, you know, this, I'll get this and you get that. And that's what we get out of this, right? Um, whereas we're teaching a generation that wants transformational relationships with one another. Um, and so how do we kind of push toward that point? Um, in order to get to that transformational point, I, again, go back to mentorship. You have to be walking with someone or having a friend who's a POC, a person of color, that's speaking life into you as a leader uh, to be able to throw these issues up and say, hey, I'm going to be talking about this in my youth group on Sunday. Do you think I'm on the right track? Or is this something that you feel? Um, I want to represent you know, your community well. What can I do? Um, and that person of color, um, I bet you, I promise you, don't be scared. They will not hold back on what they think and what they feel. Um, this is also a great moment to understand platform too, right? So there's something about carving out a platform for someone else to speak um, that would be really, really helpful at this moment. So we're in a moment where um, a lot of what we do is online and this has changed our world with COVID-19. Um, maybe that means you have video guests to your youth group or people of color who are pastors. And it doesn't have to be live. It could be pre-taped um, if live is too uh, stressful. Um, but if you have this voice and they're speaking about this issue um, and then you discuss it as a group, then you're a part of the group and you're discussing too, right? Um, even though you're sort of the facilitator and this issue might be harder for you to chew on and swallow than your kids. I think you um, talked about it when you're speaking of the mature piece. Uh, we talk about resilient young people um, and some of our language that we talk about for what we're trying to equip young people for as they go out into our world. I think this transformational mentoring, transformational relationship is such a big part of that. Um, is there anything else that you would say how talking about these issues help form young people into resilient disciples of Jesus? Mm. I like that. When you say resilient, it even reminds me of the educational concept of trauma and resilience, mm. um, which whether we whether we like it or not, this is a moment where we're experiencing a lot of trauma mm -hmm. as, as a group, you know, as a country, we're experiencing a lot of trauma um, and we are creating resilient disciples. Um, this is a great time to be an example of what the cost of discipleship is that Jesus outlines in the book of Matthew. Um, what it means is completely giving yourself over to him um, and not only surrendering, like saying, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and that's going to be good enough, or I'll come to youth group whenever I can, um, but saying, how do I walk and live the life of Christ? How do I do what the scriptures asked me to do for me to be able to decrease and for Christ to be able to increase? You know, the only way that that happens um, is by truly diving deep into the word as well. That's why I say there's no substitution for it, Mark. Like, there's no way that you can um, just talk through podcasts and other things that, you know, educational concepts that I brought up. Um, you can't just do that. You have to be able to be in the word as well, because Jesus has already addressed these issues um, in the word, um, and we just haven't listened to them <laughs> thus far. Um, so doing that together can improve that resilience piece um, as we build that generation. And also as we tell them, you are the church, you know, now, not you're going to be the church. You're the church right now. Um, so you can change the way this place looks by what you think. Yeah, such a great help for us as we tend to think through how this might help lay leaders. So thank you so much uh, for joining us and spending the time to talk through um, both your experience and your wisdom around a lot of these issues. We, we really appreciate it. 
thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate Pastor Bowling mentioning that there is a spectrum of thought and response to what we're experiencing in our world today. And these are not easy or simple conversations for us to be having. Uh, one thing we want to make clear, Mark and I are both white, and we would never desire to speak for or over our Black brothers and sisters. Uh, we felt this was an important conversation to have here because this process starts with listening uh, for us here and for you back at home. Uh, so we appreciate Pastor Bowling telling us his story and his experience, uh, giving us his wisdom and insight so that we can better understand the impact that racism has in our church and in our world. I mean, individually, we listen to Jesus's call for us to repent of any past and present sin of racism and hatred. These sins may be sins done or actions undone. We can be confident that Jesus paid the price for our sin, and we receive his grace given to us in word and sacrament. As baptized people, we are renewed in our vocations to listen to others and understand their stories and help them if there is a need. And we engage in our role as citizens to do what is best for our neighbors and communities. For we have a powerful God, and we trust in him to bring healing to this racial divide in our cities and country. And together as Christians, we celebrate the unity the Holy Spirit gives us as disciples of Jesus. Scripture teaches us in Acts 17 that we all came from one person, Adam. And we give thanks that Jesus took on human flesh and was made like us in every respect except for sin. For Jesus gave his life as a ransom so that all people, regardless of culture, nationality, race, or gender, are given salvation. These are important topics for us in all of our congregations, but in our youth ministries as well. And that's why we highlight it as one of the end goals of healthy youth ministry. So we hope that this can be just a starter to help you engage in those important conversations in both your youth ministry and your congregation as a whole. Uh, it's from there that we hopefully seek out ways to serve and to share the gospel in wider community. Uh, it's a, always a joy to listen to Pastor Bowling and others uh, who have lent their voices to this to help teach us on these topics and remind us that we believe in a God who brings healing to our families, to our churches, and to our communities. For we're able to help young people and all of us to recognize our sin, to repent of our sin, and to point each other to Jesus, our Savior. And we get to lift up wonderful stories of faithful people who work for reconciliation in our world and support their work through prayer and perhaps through other means. We support ways to bring Jesus' restoration to people who are marginalized and forgotten. For we know that our Heavenly Father did not forget us and that he sent Jesus to bring harmony between us and God and with each other. And we get to show that love and compassion to others in order that they too may know their Heavenly Father. This has been a helpful and important conversation. We hope it has been for you as well. If you recognize the voice of Pastor Bowling, uh, perhaps we didn't mention it in the starter, but he did serve as one of our morning session speakers in the 2019 gathering. And that gathering, um, as well as on the youth e-source, uh, gives us a couple of other resources that we want to point you to. Uh, the first one being, if you go back in this podcast, you can check out our interview with uh, Pastor Keith Haney, who works at Iowa District West. We talked about his resource that he wrote for us on race and identity on the youth e-source. Uh, you can listen to that. You can go find that resource. You can also listen to the presentation he made on that topic at the 2019 gathering uh, on that podcast to help us uh, kind of fill out that conversation. He also has a book available on this topic at cph.org. Uh, we had other speakers as well at the gathering who spoke about issues around race and racism, um, including Pastor Micah Glenn, and their presentations are also available uh, for you to listen to and use as a part of this engagement. Uh, 
<laughs> Hopefully, the LCMS as a whole has a part of their website that contains resources for discussing racism and other social issues. We'll link to that below, as well as to President Harrison's statement on racism. So be sure to check out the show notes. There's going to be a ton of great links there, but also to be sure to check out our uh, LCMS Youth Ministry Facebook page for not only links to resources and new resources that will hopefully be coming out, uh, but also to have conversations with other youth leaders about how we might be utilizing um, and working through these conversations. We want best practices to be able to kind of get out there and to be a part of that conversation. Some closing questions to be thinking about as you walk into that. So the first one is really simple. What's going to be your first step in starting this conversation with your youth? Another question is, how can you be prepared for these conversations through scripture reading, prayer, and expanding your knowledge and resources to include a more diverse set of voices? And then finally, how can this be an opportunity to serve and to listen with your youth in your community and in nearby communities? Uh, we are praying and praying and praying for you as you engage on these issues. Again, not easy. Um, not simple, but so important, especially in this time of unrest. And we pray that God uses this moment for us to become more aware of our sin, to repent, to receive forgiveness, and to work towards greater love and connection with all of God's people, regardless of race or ethnicity. And Gold Podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFUO Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfuo.org slash youthministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church. Thank you.